So far, we have seen a number of different activities, different occurrences, which can obligate produce in tithes. According to most, the only one which is mid-oraisa, which the Torah states obligates the produce in Maestras, would be if the produce is brought into the person's house or his courtyard. But we saw there are other things which are at least mid-rabbonon, which would obligate the produce in Maestras, such as if the produce is sold, if someone takes truma from it, or if Shabbos comes along. Because all these occurrences show a certain degree of finality and completeness of the processing of that produce, such that it can no longer be eaten without it being tithed. Now this mission is going to add another one to the list of things which would obligate produce in Maestras, and that is preparing it to be eaten. So for example, cooking, or as the Mishnah says, Hakovesh, one who pickles food, produce, hasholek, this refers to somebody who even partly cooks something, even if he doesn't cook it entirely, even if he just starts the cooking that already shows that he is finishing the processing of that produce, he's not going to do anything after that. One who salts food, so we're talking about somebody who adds a lot of salt to certain produce. Basada means in the field, some Mishnahis get rid of that word. The point is, if you're doing something to the food itself in order to prepare it, chayev, that food becomes obligated in Trimus and Maestras because the food is considered processed. However, says the Mishnah, somebody who buries food in the ground, often they would do this in order to use the heat of the ground to further cook something, or if produce wasn't quite ripe, they would put it in the ground, and it would be improved by the heat of the ground. However, that is not like cooking. Although sometimes things were slightly cooked by that being buried in the ground, that is still not considered real cooking, therefore potter, the food will remain exempt from Maestras by doing that. Hamatabal Basoda says the Mishnah, one who dips produce into salt or into vinegar or into any of the substances which would be used, for example, to pickle things or to salt things, but instead of totally immersing that produce in those things, he just dips it in. So that is not considered a significant processing of the food and therefore the food remains potter exempt. Next case, one who crushes olives in order to remove their bitter taste. So although that is a process towards preparing the food, it's still not considered to be the end process, and it's certainly not as significant as cooking, and therefore potter, once again, the food would remain exempt. As well as that, one who squeezes olives onto his skin, so often in those days especially they would rub oil on their body, but to do it straight from the olives and to pour the oil, to squeeze the oil out of the olives onto your body was quite unusual. So although rubbing liquids on one's body is usually considered to be the same as drinking the liquids, so you would think that it does need to be tithed before doing so, nevertheless, since it's an unusual way to do it, it's not considered like a fixed thing, it's not something which fixes the produce to be obligated in Maestras, and therefore, once again, Potter, the food remains exempt from Maestras. However, says the Mishnah, if he squeezed the olives into his hand, so he has a pile of oil in his hand, and then he uses that to rub on his body, so then Chayef, he would be obligated to tithe the produce, because that's just like a container, it's like putting the oil into a container and then using it to rub your body, so that's really a regular way of processing oil and that does represent the end of the process, and therefore the produce would be obligated in Maestras. We learned in the first Perek that the way that they would process wine in a wine press is that eventually once all the grapes had been squeezed and pressed and you had the liquid in a sort of big container at the bottom, or possibly a pit, and there would be lots of skins and pieces of the grapes still mixed in with the mixture and they would be at the top. So we said over there that the end process of the processing of wine is when they would skim the top of the wine and pretty much remove all the skins and the pips which are in that mixture. Now what happens if somebody, instead of doing that, 
Before removing the skins and the pips, he pulls that wine into some cooked dish, mixes it with the food, and then he removes all those bits. So I'm a Kapila Tavshil, one who only skims and removes the skins and the pips of the grapes. After he poured the wine into a cooked dish, then Potter, the wine is still exempt from Miserus, because that's not considered to be skimming the wine. That's just removing the bad bits from a cooked dish so that you can eat the food. But the wine was not processed properly and therefore it will remain exempt from Miserus. Likadera, however, if the wine was poured into a pot which was empty, and then it was skimmed, Chayev, then obviously he'll be obligated to tithe the wine, because that pot is just like the pit which it was in, and since the wine is not mixed with anything else, it is considered to be processing the wine, such that it would be now obligated in Miserus. Mission base. As we have alluded to earlier on in the Masechta, if somebody has produce which he has not yet tithed, and it reaches Shabbos, Shabbos obligates produce in Miserus. And the reason given for this is that the Novi famously commands us, the Kolosal Shabbos Oineg, you shall declare Shabbos as a enjoyment, as a rejoicing. And the Gemara says that how do you rejoice on Shabbos? By eating and drinking which means that the nature of your drinking and your eating on Shabbos takes on much more significance. It's considered an enjoyment, a rejoicing. And we know that after the Gemara Malacha of produce, after it's been processed, one is generally allowed to eat from it an achilas aray in a temporary manner until the next stage, so until it's brought into the house, or until truma is taken from it, until it's cooked, etc. However, even before it's brought into the house, or one of those other things, as soon as the Gemara Malacha has been reached, you cannot eat from it an achilas keva, a fixed eating as a fixed meal. Now on Shabbos, whatever you eat has the level of an achilas keva, of a fixed significant eating. And therefore, any processed food, even before it's been brought into the house, before it's been cooked, before any of those things have occurred, it will be forbidden to eat anything on Shabbos which has not been tithed. Now if that's the reason, then after Shabbos you would think it goes back to what the previous status was, that you should then be able to eat it without tithing it, as long as it's a snack, not a fixed meal. However, the Rabbonin instituted that once Shabbos has come along, Shabbos obligates that produce in Maestras, and it cannot go back to its original status. So let's begin the Mishnah. Children, and the same would apply to adults, who hide and set aside figs for the sake of Shabbos. So let's imagine on a Thursday they put aside some figs which have not yet been tithed, and they say we're going to eat these on Shabbos. But Veshachachula Asron, they forgot to tithe them, before Shabbos, and then they take them out on Shabbos, and before they eat them, they realize that they're not yet tithed. Now, it's forbidden to tithe produce on Shabbos. It's like fixing something, because it was forbidden to eat, and by tithing it, you're permitting it, which is considered like fixing it, and therefore it's forbidden to tithe things on Shabbos. So they won't be able to eat it on Shabbos, and the Mishnah says further, like we explained, they can't even be eaten after Shabbos goes out, until they are tithed. Now you should just note that the Mishnah implies that it is permitted to eat them without tithing them on, let's say, Friday, in between the time that you set them aside and Shabbos, meaning even though you set them aside for Shabbos, and on Shabbos you cannot eat them untithed, nevertheless, if you eat them before Shabbos, even though they're set aside for Shabbos, since it's not Shabbos yet, you would still be able to eat them without tithing them. However, as we saw, once Shabbos has come along, then they are obligated in tithes, and that obligation lasts even until after Shabbos. Now, the following case is very similar, and that is Kalkolas Shabbos, a basket full of fruit which was set aside for Shabbos. According to Eshamai, this is exactly the same as in the previous case. The previous case was where some kids set aside a few fruit, but they didn't put it in a basket but they still set it aside for Shabbos, and according to Beis Shammai, this is exactly the same case. And therefore, if they decide to eat the fruit 
before Shabbos, after they set it aside, they change their mind, then Beishamai Patron and Beishamai exempt them from separating Maestras, because Shabbos has not yet arrived, and although it was set aside for Shabbos at the end of the day, it was not used for Shabbos, so it can be eaten in a temporary manner before Shabbos. However, in this case, Beishel will say that you would be obligated to tie that produce, because since it's in a basket, it's much more significant. It's totally set aside for Shabbos. When somebody sets aside just a couple of fruit for Shabbos, he's much more likely to change his mind. It's not a full designation for Shabbos. However, if one puts together a whole basket for Shabbos, say Beis Hillel, that's a much more significant designation, and therefore even if you end up eating the fruit before Shabbos, that is considered a Shabbos basket of fruit, such that you would be obligated to separate tithes from those fruit. Alright, and Rabbi Yehuda adds, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Even one who gathers and puts together a basket of fruit in order to send it to his friend's house, even though usually we learnt before that selling something does obligate it in Maestras, whereas giving a gift does not. In this case, since it's a whole basket of fruit, and since he's sending it to his house, clearly it's a very significant gift, and because he's doing all these things with it, and because of its importance, the person may not eat from that basket of fruit until he tithes it, and in fact, the person who's sending it actually needs to tithe it before sending it, because as soon as he puts together the gift already, then it becomes obligated in Maestras. And really the basic reason for all of these cases is that as soon as you do significant things with the produce, which don't necessarily have to do with furthering the processing of that produce, so you're not actually changing the produce at all, you're starting to do lots of things with it, so that shows that you're pretty much done with the processing. And that is why it becomes obligated in Maestras, because of those other significant actions which you are doing with the produce. Mishnah Gimel, although we saw earlier on that salting produce obligates it in Maestras, that's only true if he salts a number of units of that produce in one go. And therefore, Hamilton Zesim in a Maton, one who takes and removes olives from a Maton, which is some sort of large container in which olives were placed for them to soften, once they were soft they were easier to extract oil from them, so the Mishnah says that if you take away some of those olives in order to salt them, so if if you want, then you can dip the olives into salt one by one and then eat them. And that's even if you salt them properly, you put lots and lots of salt on them, since you're only doing it one at a time, that's not considered significant enough to obligate them in Maestas. However, in Molach Venosan Lefonov, if you salted a few of them and put them in front of him, so as you saw in Mishnah Aleph, Chayev, that would obligate the produce in Maestas, because now since he's doing it to a few of them, that is considered significant. Rebilez Omer. Now Rebilez holds that if there's a likelihood that the person who removes these olives is going to put some of the olives back into the mixture, back into the container, that means that when you take out the olives, you're not separating them away from this container and from the rest of the olives. You still consider these olives part of the same mixture of olives because you're going to put some back later on. Which means that even if you do salt lots of olives in one go, as long as you're going to put back a few in the container later on, then those olives will not become obligated in Maestras, because they're still part of the main container of olives, which are not obligated. You can't have part of the olives of one mixture considered processed and the rest not considered processed. So as long as those olives are going to go back into the mixture later on, they will not become obligated in Maestras, just like the main group of olives in the container will not be obligated in Maestras. Now how do we determine the likelihood of him returning olives into the container? So Rebeliezer says, and we're talking about somebody who is Tome. So if he takes Minamatana Tohar from a container of pure olives, then Chayev, then he would be obligated to tithe the olives if he salts more than one in one go. Reason being that since he is Tomei, 
As soon as he touches some of the olives, they become tome. So he's not going to put back olives back into the pure container of olives, because that will mean that he's going to make all of the rest of the olives tome, which of course he will not want to do. So since over there he is not going to put back the olives, that means that as soon as he removes the olives in the first place from the maton, he is considering these olives as separate from the rest of the olives. They're not going back in there. So if these ones are considered processed, then they will be obligated in Maestras. However, when our Tome, if he takes the olives from a container of Tome olives, that means that all the olives are already Tome. So him touching them will make a difference. Which means that if he salts some of them, and then he has some left over, he doesn't want to eat all of them, then he will put them back into the container. Because there's no concern of him making the rest of them Tome, because they're already Tome. So since he's going to put back the olives, that means that when he originally took the olives out of the container, he wasn't saying that these olives are separate from the rest of the olives. They always remain part of the same group of olives. So even if some of them are processed, they'll only become obligated if all of the olives become processed. And therefore Potter will be exempt from tithing those olives which he salts, because he is going to return the rest of the olives into the container. Mishadalad, as we have seen time and time again, once the produce has reached its Gemara you're allowed to eat or drink it as an achilas arai, a temporary eating, like a snack, and that's until it's brought into a house, or until Shabbos arrives, or until trimmer is taken from it, until it's cooked, etc. But an achilas keva, fixed eating, or a fixed drinking, is forbidden already from the Gemara Malacha, once the actual processing and changing of the food is completed. The focus of the Mishnah is what is considered an achilas arai for wine, and what is considered an achilas keva or a shasiyas keva, drinking, which is fixed, to be more precise. And it's a three-way machlekes. According to the first opinion, sheisam alagas, one is allowed to drink wine if he drinks it over the wine press, and that means that the majority of his body and his head need to be leaning over the wine press while he drinks the wine. Because that clearly shows that it's a temporary drinking, he's quickly grabbing some wine to drink, and he's doing it just over the wine press. Whether it was diluted with warm water, whether it was diluted with cold water. In either case, Potter will be exempt from tithing that produce, because since he is over the wine press, that can never be considered a formal fixed drinking. That is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Lodzberg with Sodik says you are chayev even if you're drinking the wine over the wine press, and his reason is because it's very easy and likely that that person will move outwards while he's drinking the wine, such that he will not be totally over the wine press, and he'll end up moving away from the wine press while drinking the wine. Now, drinking the wine not over the wine press is considered a fixed drinking, which would mean that the wine has to be tithed. And therefore, since it's so likely that he's going to move away from the wine press, Rabbi Lozara says he has to tithe the wine before he starts drinking it, in case he moves away from the wine press. Now, I've got a third opinion, and that goes halfway. If the wine was diluted with warm water, then you are obligated to tithe it before drinking it. And the reason for the chachomim is because the status of that drinking whether it's considered a fixed drinking or a temporary informal drinking, it's not really dependent on whether you're over the wine press. It's dependent on whether you're planning on pouring back the rest of the wine which you don't drink back into the wine press. If you are planning on just drinking part of it and then pouring it back in, in there, then it's considered a temporary, very informal drinking. But if you're not going to pour back the rest of the wine in there, then clearly this is a more significant drinking which you're taking more seriously. Now, if you dilute wine with warm water, 
to pull back warm wine into the wine press would possibly ruin the rest of the wine, and therefore you would not pull back the wine if you diluted it with warm water. And therefore, Chayv, you would be obligated to tide that wine, because it's considered formal drinking and fixed drinking since you're not going to pull back the rest. However, if you diluted the wine with cold water, then Potter, you would be exempt from tithing it because you are going to very likely pull back the rest of the wine into the wine press, which indicates that the drinking was not a fixed, significant, and important drinking.